Lauren called me. Fate, I said, do you want destiny. to play Trump? Yeah. And I said, of course I don't want to play Trump. I'd rather die than play Trump. I said, that's the stupidest goddamn idea I've ever heard in my life. Alec Baldwin, today on the News Broads. Hi, I'm Gina Cerrito, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Lynn White and Judy Licht. We're the News Broads, broads casting about the news and all things media. We're here to give you insights on how it all works. A look at the news you won't find anywhere else. Our guest today needs no introduction. He's won several Emmys, a Golden Globe. He's been nominated for an Oscar and a Tony. But most recently, Alec Baldwin finds himself at the epicenter of the national conversation with his spot-on impersonation of Donald Trump. Well, the news broads sat down with Alec in what was coincidentally the morning of the House impeachment vote. And Alec was ready to talk on any variety of subjects, everything from his childhood love of the news to his love-hate relationship as the subject of the news and everything in between. Here's Alec Baldwin. Let's talk about news broads itself, meaning how things have changed in that regard. Yes. Where, I mean, with you, uh, you, you've earned the right to uh, call it whatever you want. You've had a long career in journalism. But isn't it amazing how uh, what's changed is, is is that very thing, which is the uh, the importance of and, and and the seriousness of, and at the same time the uh, the concerns about political correctness in terms of what we say on TV. And I mean, I mean you can call it news broads. I can't call it news broads. My husband thought it was a horrible mm. name, and everybody I know who's younger loves it because yeah. they see the irony. We also have to explain it to people. We have to say, listen, it came from this broadcasting and all you know, and all these all these puns. And we were like, wait, why are we? Why are we? We even thought about changing our name at one point. We did, and we did change our name at one point before we really put it out there but it was like we felt that wait a minute no this is what we've decided this is our name let's just go with this but, but you're I, right I, I think we did earn that or I, at least yeah. Judy and but I'd love to hear the three of you talk about how the business has changed maybe you've covered this already I don't doubt you have uh, how the business has changed you're younger than uh, than than your colleagues here how the business has changed for women in the last 25 years well when Lynn and I started or actually I was before Lynn I'm the oldest in the room um, there were two women in the newsroom there was one woman on the assignment desk, and the one woman reporter they had had a nervous breakdown because it was such a misogynistic environment and so rough. And so I got the job because she had a nervous breakdown. And I have to tell you that the whole first seven months I was there, I woke up every day with knots in my stomach and hating going in, although I loved the work, I hated going in. It was so misogynistic, but tough in a way that was great because you had to really have both sides of the story. You had to know it. had to be better. It. it had to be better. And there was a fairness doctrine, so you had to have both sides of the story by law. So there was no Fox News channel. There was no MSNBC as a political channel. There was only straight down the middle news, but you had um, What's his name? Offit and Ob. What's Offit his name? and Mama Yes, you know the yeah. name. I, I wasn't really around for a lot of that. You were around for a lot of that. I was. But if you had one side, you also had to have the other side, which well, is the very fairness important. Thing, the fairness thing aside, which, you know, we've seen that just get jettisoned. That's yeah. gone. Yeah. And, and, and now it is a lot of uh, just punditry and opinion making and, 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 and analysis of the news with a heavy, heavy mix of that in there. But I'm just interested in, 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 in you know, I remember, I forget, what is her name? I, I, it's on the tip of my 
my tongue. Who's that woman that was the 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 the, the, the empress, the woman on NBC News years ago? She was on the national news. Dickinson, Nancy Dickinson. Nancy Dickerson. Nancy Dickerson. I remember I was a news junkie yeah. when I was a kid. I, I was watching Martin Even when I was a kid. Okay. I, I was watching Joe Pine when I was a kid. A woman would talk about birth control, and Joe Pine would sit there and sandbag or go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Isn't it true, madam, that you're just a whore? He'd say. <laughs> I mean, he'd come out of nowhere. He'd just, like, club them out of nowhere. And it's He was a monster. Bad. He was a monster, but we lost something. In, 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 and I, was I'm, convinced, I'm convinced that Howard Stern, who I know reasonably well and I've worked with, who is, I couldn't stand listening to him on the radio, but I, he's the nicest man in person. I, I, he is the only one who was willing to be politically incorrect. And I'm convinced that that's why he is the enormously popular figure he is, because people really want political incorrectness, but it's just out of out of the culture. Well, you know, and I know that the, the, the political incorrectness that, that was practiced by Howard is very different now. Mm. He's like Letterman. Yeah. Right. There's a period when they're young and they got a little more acid in their veins. There's a certain kind of a show they do. Their, their guests come on and it's like a lion just staring at a, 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 a you know, some yeah. animal. Right. And they're going to pounce on you and just devour you. I mean, they, and they could just, you know, Letterman is somebody who could just smack you across the room at will comedically and, 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 and dispense with you that way. But, but he and Howard both aged into something else. So Howard was politically incorrect and talented because you have to be smart to do that politically incorrect thing and, and the way he did it. And it was entertaining. But now you do Howard. Do you know that Howard is my favorite show to do? Of Why all is that? He's the best interview. He sits back. If you have something to say and he knows you're in a certain index in terms of as a guest, he will uh, budget two hours. Yeah. You sit there and the interview is over when it's over. I mean, within reason. Right. Like when I do his show, you go at least an hour. And we have a lot to say about this and that, and we have a good conversation. And it's uh, and he just and he's become very very sweet and analytical. And anal- he's, it, 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 this is Howard like Letterman in a different phase of his career. Yeah, well, he has the confidence to do it. We haven't told you, have we, that we have a sleeping bag for you here because we're going to go on. <laughs> this could continue we're ready for, for a couple while. of hours. That we didn't buy you lunch perfect. for nothing. This right. window looks perfect. That couch looks perfect. So I'm big in things are happening uh, in news and television and. You always make the country look up when you come on SNL. Um, do you prepare for that? Is there going to be a big one coming up next with all the things that are happening historically in our politics now? Well, we agreed uh, two things. One is if we started in 16, so 16, 17, 18 last year. So this is we're going into the fourth year we've done this, and which was not at all what we had in mind. The story that led to this is you know, very silly. But uh, uh, basically, well, I was going to do a film, and just as uh, <clears throat> you may know, uh, the studios and the networks—I've said this many times on the air—the studios and the networks—they may uh, hassle you, they may drive you insane with what number is on your paycheck. But when you arrive at an agreement about the number on your paycheck, the checks never bounce. Hmm. They've got billions of dollars right. in lines of equity, and the networks and the studios always pay you what you're promised. Independent films, you have to forge an agreement that involves an escrow clause, and they must escrow 50% of your salary several days before you show up, like 30 days, 60 days, whatever you say. They have to put half your salary in escrow, and if they don't meet that escrow, because there's a lot of piracy 
on the high seas of independent filmmaking, it's almost astounding how yeah. much bad faith there is out there. And the money isn't there, so you don't show up. And I've passed on other jobs, P.S. So if they don't escrow the money in an escrow agreement, you don't do the film. And somebody who was a friend of mine, somebody I'd worked with, somebody who was an enormously successful film producer and director, approached me about doing a film, and his it was an independent film. And we treated him like any other independent. Where's the escrow? And his partners kept saying, not him, he wasn't doing the deal-making. His partners kept saying, well, the money's coming, the money's coming, and it didn't. No. And the deadline came, and we gave him a grace period for a week, and it didn't come. And I called the guy up, and I go, if the money's not in escrow by Monday, I said, I'm not doing the movie. And then Lauren called me. Wow. Mm. And I said, do you want to play Trump? Yeah. And I said, of course I don't want to play Trump. I'd rather die <laughs> than play Trump. I said, that's the stupidest goddamn idea I've ever heard in my life. And then the escrow thing fell apart, and I'm sitting there, and we all assumed, obviously, this is all predicated on doing Trump for two shows. So I call up Lauren, and I go, I said, I guess I'm Trump, and we meant two episodes, because of course he's gonna lose. And when I laid in bed with my wife, and we, we don't have a TV in our bedroom, so we have our computer, and we pass out, and we're waiting, and we wake up, I would just wake up at three o'clock in the morning, that instinct, and I look at my computer, so the Trump is the president, and my wife was just, Beside herself. And the next day, of course, New York was like 9-11. Yeah, yeah, it felt and that I, way. And I lay in bed with my wife and I looked at her and I go, oh my God, I have to be Trump for the next four years, <laughs> knowing Lauren. Yeah. But when we go and do it, the rhythm is that this year we agreed I would do it like once a month. Yeah. And uh, unless there's something crazy breaking that they think is a great opportunity, they'll, I leave most Saturdays available. Like last Saturday, I went to my mother's 90th birthday party mm -hmm. up in Syracuse. But other than that, I'm available to them. And usually I hear from them by, you know, like Thursday morning, they'll say to me, come in or don't come in. Right, because the news is breaking currently yeah. and all the time. So because you're doing this now, and it right. seems that you've made yourself available to them, how does that impact your life? Besides just keeping Saturdays open, does it, is it impact you in other ways? Well, I mean, I think it's 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 anything in the culture, entertainment-wise, that you that sticks. You know, you can do a film, and you're very proud of it, and the entire audience of it, you know, could fit into one bus. You know, I mean, it's it's a it, you do, we did Motherless Brooklyn, and I was very sad to see the Globes and the SAGs. There was little to nothing there. I mean, I think, mm. uh, um, I think. Edgar, the, the soundtrack got nominated for something because they got that beautiful soundtrack that was all curated and, and some of it performed by Wynton Marsalis. But the film got nothing. And I was heartbroken about that because I love the film and I thought Ed did something very rare there. But um, <clears throat> the um, uh, um, I think that in my life now, it, it, the reason I'm stepped it way down to once a month is it, it like eclipsed everything. Yeah. Like I literally had a woman who was like this very kind of wizened, uh, uh, Greenwich Village, uh, uh, Bohemian, and she kind of looked at me. She's probably like seventy-five years old. She me. She goes, "Isn't that weird?" <laughs> she said, "Isn't that weird?" And I said, "What's weird?" She goes, "That of all the things you've done in your career, this is the thing you're going to be remembered for. No one's going to remember anything else you did." And I thought, I walked home and I was like, oh, "I have God. to kill myself. Oh, I'm going to kill myself." <laughs> Weird though. I mean, that I would imagine it's. Well, I think there's plenty then, of time right? to hopefully change people's opinion about that. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, but here you are, okay, a guy who has been an actor, a comedian, successfully, wildly successfully on on Thirty Rock. You do all of these things, and yet the president of the United States, the leader, sadly, of the free world, 
takes time to criticize you and come at you. Mm -hmm. How is that affected? It was it was exhilarating. I was so happy. <laughs> I was as high as can be. Wait, can I can I remind you of this lovely quote? Please. So Donald Trump tweets, Alec Baldwin whose dying mediocre career was saved by his terrible impersonation of me on SNL, now says playing me was agony. And your response is, which I think is timely for today, agony though it may be, I'd like to hang in there for the impeachment hearings. <laughs> and here we well are. Done. <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. Well, as you know, I don't need to tell you, you guys, when you're in the news and you're in journalism and you have that perspective of seeing all the facts, even though we live in a post-truth world, as they say, when you live with all the facts, you know that, that impeachment is sad under any circumstance. This is a it sad, is. sad thing. Yeah. No one wants to do this. And I believe, and I really believe, <clears throat> even though this is what's expected by my political opponents, if you will, or people on the other side, they'll still throw up when I say this, but nonetheless, I think that Nadler and Schiff and these people are great heroes. Mm. They are great, great heroes to, well, be, to press forward with something that is unpopular with just about half the country. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of opposition to this, and uh, I think that they're they're heroic to have persisted. Indeed, they clapped for Schiff in one of those committee hearings, which is good to see. And, and Nadler too. I think yeah. Nadler's been stoic. Think, but do you think, Alec? And this is coming out of just devil's advocate question it's not what i necessarily believe do you believe that this may actually hurt the democrats in the election no no because a no. lot of people who are who you know aren't are in the in the middle are just annoyed with the impeachment it, it won't work because sadly well because i think i think I, I don't know I, I i i don't rely on that polling to tell me what the middle wants to do mm. i know what the if it's a division of three components four against and people who are on the fence uh, you can rely on the reportage regarding the, the 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 extreme wings but in the middle i'm always a little bit suspicious about and skeptical about what's being said however i i just want to say that um the, uh, I have one thought. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I have one thought in the back of my mind about that. And there's, I believe that Pelosi and Schiff and Nadler and everybody who are not just elected officials who are key to this process in the House, forget about Schumer and the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Senate, I believe all of them and the many, many, many lawyers they have in their battalion, they fought this through multiple chess moves down the pit. Board. They realize the you, 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 people say to them, you know, you're going to go to the Senate. McConnell's going to make sure he gets acquitted. And, we, and, and you want to look at people who say they go, no, really? <laughs> you think he's going to get acquitted in the Senate? Like, like we don't know that. Right. They're thinking about after the acquittal and how they're going to utilize this against him for the election in 2020. So we can take back the Senate. And then once we take back, if he were to win and we had both. Uh, houses, um, I think that they're very smart neutered. people. He'd be neutered. Uh, he, well, they would they would literally drive him even more exactly. crazy than he already is, which is hard to imagine. But but I'm just saying that I think these people are very smart people who thought this out many steps beyond the eventual acquittal. Uh, and, and the other thing is that that kind of concerns me is the see the Republicans to me, and this is the Republican leadership. 
The tragedy in this country is that the Republican rank and file, friends of yours, we have a lot of friends that are Republicans. Too many, for my taste. We have a, we have, we have a lot of... He's pointing to Judy. <laughs> yeah, he's pointing to Judy. We have too many. No, but what I'm saying is we have, we have friends who are Republicans of whatever stripe. You know, we used to call Rockefeller Republicans, what have you. But we have friends who are Republicans who have their beliefs, and some of them, you know, straining toward even more conservative in terms of social issues. But the bottom line is I separate Republican rank and file from the Republican leadership and the Republican leadership, the men and women in charge of the Republican Party. The worst. And there are people who they live with one thing, and that is Nixon got impeached and he resigned. Mm. And they tried, they had an opportunity to do to Clinton what was done to, in their mind, it was payback. We need to have the score even. One of your guys got taken down, forget about Andrew Jackson. One of our, we're going to take down one of your guys. And Clinton walked away. And when Clinton walked away from the wreckage of a failed impeachment proceeding, people loved him. Do you think Clinton the walks thing? in the room. They still, regardless of what you think about um, Clinton and his morals and whatever, they. I went to the Elton John AIDS Foundation event, and they treat him like he was Elvis Presley. They sure do. They love him. You missed and him now, last night. Where <laughs> he was, he was at that. Party I saw her. You I saw, saw her. And everybody swarms. He was. He came too. He. They swarm around Hillary. He's they, like yeah, he, they love he's, he's like an elixir to them in yeah. these times. But but I want to finish with two things. One is that, and and that is that. Um, they, they, they're just apoplectic that we have, that, that you have in, in your sights another Republican who's really a bad guy. Clinton wasn't really a bad I can't say about because of his personal issues, but let me just mention this, which is that the, the, the Republicans look at, at, at Trump, and of course they hate Trump. Of course Trump is a humiliation to them. Yeah. Of course there are moderate Democrats who are like, Bring Mitt Romney in here now. Right. Yes. I'll Absolutely. vote for Mitt Romney, a guy who's a gentleman and yeah. who, who stands for something. And the Republicans are like, but they can't take it again. They can't get put through the stocks again. And they're supporting this guy because they just can't have another one of their guys go down. P.S. to that is who walks in as my wife and I are leaving? Who? And Mike Bloomberg? Well, he was on the stairs. I went down. I said, I can't believe they let you in here. Uh, he said the same thing to me. But, but I saw as I'm coming out, there's Huma. And Huma is, says to me, wait, wait for it, wait for it. And then walks Hillary. And, and she said to me, you know, Hillary's doing a podcast. Uh, and I turned to Huma. And, I, and, I turn, and Hillary walks in and I go, enough. <laughs> I said, can't you leave something for us to have it's our own that you don't come in and just take over? You have to, you, do you really need to have a podcast? You're Hillary Clinton. I know. And she goes, that sounds like fun. Are you going to be on my podcast? <laughs> I said, for God's sakes, what? So can't you get right. out? Can't you leave right. me something? And here's the thing, to coin a phrase. Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, you just said a, a few minutes ago, in a post-truth, post-truth generation, in a post post-truth era. Uh, and that brings us to why we invited you here, aside from the fact that you're nice, you're a celebrity, we love you. Most of the guests we have here on News Broads are people who actually create the news. Right. They report the news. They are the executives in charge of the news, whatever. What intrigued us about your coming here is that you've been on the other side. You are now part of the media. I'm a you consumer, a yeah. But you're not only a consumer. A subject, yeah. But you're also the subject. Right. For the, the object. good, the bad, right. the object. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and we 
you've written about this a lot in your book, which we'll get to in a little bit, but you, um, you've really had a love-hate kind of relationship with the media, and it started out as a love relationship, really, when you were a kid. Well, I think that what, what, when, when you wind up being, I guess the best distillation of this was I was at a party once, and I was with some friends who one of them either was a very intimate with colleagues at the Times or was a former colleague of the Times or somebody that was actually from the Times. And I said, you know, I got a great proposal for you guys at the Times, and that is set up a system, set up a program where I could pay you a fee every Here's how you can make money at the Times, because you guys are strapped for money, I understand. They're having trouble, you know, uh, m making their numbers that they want and with their digitization and so forth. I said, let's set up something where I pay you $25,000 a year to never mention my name in the paper the entire year. <laughs> and I'll pay a subscription fee of right. $25,000 a year if you just never say my name in the New York Times. Because you realize with the kind of... Um, uh, I don't know what the word is, the kind of smugness or intellectual vanity of the Times and other similar outlets that you're either Times material or you're not. One year I'm getting invited to the New Yorker Festival, and the next thing you know is they wouldn't, they'd rather die than have me come to the New Yorker Film Festival. It's New Yorker Festival. Like you're, you're, you're desired by them, they embrace you, and then they, they, they make fun of you and they, they kind of uh, uh, reduce you. How and does so, that, how does that, <clears throat> because none of us have the privilege to be loved or hated by the New York be Times? Be mocked by the Times. <laughs> yeah. You can have it. What is it? Merry Christmas. What is it? I mean, what does that truly not, and I mean this on, as it's a very simple question, but really, what does that feel like? Well, I think that what, as you know better than I do, the velocity of the news now has replaced the veracity of the news. So, uh, the um, uh, you know, I sat down. I, I wasn't a big fan of the evening t uh, comedy talk shows where someone comes out and they are kind of uh, uh, spraying you with a lot of pre-digested. Uh, comedy observations about politics, which I, I don't really need that. I have my own path. I mean, I've got my uh, 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 my uh, aggregation of what I read and listen to, and I don't need to have everything. <clears throat> it's like the Fox News equivalent, but add comedy, and it's for liberals. Mm -hmm. So Colbert and Kimmel. And I like Jimmy because, and I always do Fallon because Jimmy's a friend, and I want to go there and have a good time. It's like I want to hit a bucket of golf balls and relax. I don't want to really talk about politics too much there. I don't think it's the forum. And I got into kind of a tangle with Colbert about that and John Oliver. I said, oh, these shows to me are kind of superfluous. And I get on Colbert's show, and again, this pertains to the, the, the depth of the story. I sit down, and I'd done a pre-taped segment with him, and I sit down to talk with him. And the very first question he says to me, he says, he says are you an angry person? And this is just on the, on the heels of me do, having this, in, this altercation with this guy in front of the, my building. Now, everybody who knows, who has any knowledge of the facts, my criminal attorney and my case was dismissed. And, and people don't understand that in order to make the case go away, the, the city wants you to plead guilty to something. You don't have to do anything. Just plead guilty to harassment. Not battery assault, but plead guilty to harassment. And everybody familiar with the case knows that there's like six cameras in front of my building and nobody punched anybody, nothing. There was nothing, there was no truth to that whatsoever. And the PS to that is that the cops came who went a town where you wonder where are Trump supporters, I've soon found out. The cop is standing 10 feet from me and the cop looks at this guy and goes, do you know who that is? He's a captain in a white shirt and a tie, not a patrolman. Yeah. And the guy goes, no, he's from Poland. He goes, no. 
And the cop goes, you don't know who that is? He goes, no. He goes, you're going to want to go to the hospital with us. You're going to want to get checked out. You're going to want to go to the So the police are coaching him through the whole procedure because the police, the, a certain section of them, love Trump. Yeah. yeah. Hate me for what I'm doing. Hate me. I'm their political opposite. So I remember just kind of sitting there going, oh, God. Then they said to me, could you come with us, please? They put my hands behind my back and yeah. handcuffed me. Took me to the police, put me in a cell for oh an my. hour. I mean, it was really, and then, and then waited until all the press was assembled out in front of the... the, the to uh, walk you. And then they walked me right out the door in front of, I'm not exaggerating, probably 50 cameras. Yeah, that, the per- It was a the phalanx. The right. They wanted a perp walk to disgrace me because of, of the whole Trump. And I thought to myself, now I don't hold every police officer or the police as an institution responsible for that, but that group, that was their goal. I did not punch the guy. I stayed on the site. I mean, my car, I could have gotten my car and left. Yeah. I could have been like, I, I could have been out on like exit 48 by the time they showed up on my way out to the island. And I stayed to uh, dispatch with this because I knew I didn't do anything. And they handcuffed me. They put me in the cell. They take me outside. They mock me in front oh, of all my. the reporters. So what happens is people don't have the opportunity now because things are moving so quickly to absorb the true story. But the, in the time it takes you to tell the full story, the public has gone, okay, so what? So what, kind of what did Kanye get Kim for Christmas? That's yeah, what I want to yeah. know. But Show t- me that stone. You've taken back that narrative. You write books. You have your own To the podcast. extent people listen. Yeah. But what but you need to do, by the way, what I've learned is you need, I mean, obviously people claiming that you assaulted them aside, is what I realize is, and this is the really sad part, is the less media in your life, the better. I had a very prominent organization contact me with this and said, we want to do a profile on you. It's an organization that 10 years ago, I would have said absolutely and viewed it as an opportunity for me mm-hmm. to talk about my work and promote my work. I mean, let's face it, it's all promotion. I don't need to sit down. I'm doing this because I'm in love with you. <laughs> He's pointing and to me. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, vice versa. and your husband. I've yes. fallen in love with him. Yes. Which talk about Everybody long shots. <laughs> the, uh, but, but my point is that, is, that, is that I, it was a group that called me and it was so odd for me to kind of sit there, and I kind of counted to ten, and I thought, boy, there was a time when this would have been a really something I would have loved doing. Yeah. Thoughtful group of people. But what does that and say I about media? What does that say about media? I mean, how does media move forward if people aren't willing to, if they're not trusting on any side of you it? You have to develop your own compass about what is true and what's not true. That's what I was getting at with the truth. The truth. I thing. think so. Most people on both sides of the political divide think that a lot of the news is fake news or wrong news Mm -hmm. or you know there are so many outlets now and social media being one of them that there's a truth for everybody there's a exactly and and the problem is no one knows how to get at the essence when you were a kid you talk about in the book sitting and watching walter cronkite every Mm -hmm. night john chancellor Mm. uh um, huntley brinkley you know, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, that was, of course, in the book, what I wanted to express was that that was the way to connect to my dad. My dad, who taught American government and economics and history in a public high school, when he came home, particularly right around, right around when I turned 10 in the spring of 68, it was a seminal time for my dad. It was a political junkie. Martin Luther King is killed. Robert Kennedy's killed two months later. Uh, my father turned 40 the year before in 67. He was born in 27. And then that fall, his mom died. The following spring in May, his dad died. My father was one of these guys who his mother was like a living saint. 
My father was somebody who had is, is everything you would want as an adult male with your mother. Everything you'd want in a relationship with a woman you call mother, especially for a son, my father had with his mother. Mm. My mother, my grandmother loved my father and, 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 and presided over raising us in her Brooklyn home and meals and dinners and all these things, uh, all of my childhood up until they died when I was 10. And so I had the benefit of that in that early part of my childhood. And um, the only way to communicate with my dad was to sit and watch the news with him. You know, my, my, my father joked one time, because your mother's in the room, other room reading Harold Robbins novels. Wow. <laughs> and he goes, I'm here, we're, 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 we're watching, uh, you know, a David Susskind. So this is fascinating, sitting in this room, listening to you, because most people see you and they think, oh, you're a comedian or you're an actor. You're a very deep, thoughtful person, an intellectual. Well, How would you describe the real Alec Baldwin? God, that's such a tough question. I just want to have a nice bowl of pasta out in Bridgehampton in the summertime and hang out with my friends. You know what I am? It's, it's, it's like anybody. It's, it's always changing. So my passion for this, my passion for that, my passion for my work, which ebbs and flows because, you know, I'm, it's, it's like if you're a musician, what I envy about musicians is you can just sit and play and enjoy yourself. Yeah. I pull out my clarinet, I pull out my guitar, I, you know, I, I'm a, I can take notes on a score if I'm a conductor or go to the piano and everybody that I've met in the classical world, I mean, what a joy. When you're an actor, you have to have an audience and when you don't have an audience, you bore everyone around you privately with your acting, <laughs> schmacting. Hardly. Well, but, 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 but the thing is, is that for me, everything is defined by my family now and getting remarried and having my four kids. It's yeah just changed my whole life. And in fact, Where you talk I work, about that in your first book about divorce and the impact of that. Now you kind of relive it in a positive way. Is oh yeah, that I mean, I have four kids in four and a half years. Yeah. And I'm 61, I'm gonna be 62 in April. I got a one-year-old son. Right after I turned 62, my son Romeo turns two in May. I mean, everything is defined by that. Where I work, where I don't work, what I do. You know, when they came to me to host Match Game, to do a game show, I thought, oh, I'm gonna put all this money in my uh, charity. Because I was always looking for veins of income for my charity. And we went to go do a match game. I thought, I'll do it once. We did a bunch of episodes. They paid me X. And when it was over, they came to me, this woman, uh, Jennifer Mullen, who now runs uh, um, the company that produces the show. Um, she, she, Jennifer Mullen comes to me and she says, uh, would you do it again? And I thought, it's like with Lauren. Right. I'm, I'm like, no. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm stumping as a game show host as this one-off, like I did these credit card commercials, all of which we gave away. But I said, I'm not going to do it again. And sure enough, I thought, I don't care. Pick them up your own. Can success. I ask I a question about your kids? <laughs> yeah. So if the do you way have kids, I have three. Yes. Yeah. How, what are their ages? Thirteen, nine, and six. Oh wow. I know. And I'm only is fifteen girl. myself. So exactly. they're all boys. Say, you're they're from boys. West Virginia, right? <laughs> Ohio, close enough. Exactly. Um, <laughs> they're all boys. They're all boys. What's, what, what's it like with the thirteen-year-old now that he's in like the puberty uh, phase? Well, he's applying to high schools. So in New York City, it's a whole different game. It's interesting. He's I I'm very and the news broads will agree. I very very blessed with children. They are very good children. Where do you live? In the city? Lower East Side. You do live in the Lower Oh, how groovy are you? Oh, I'm <laughs> so cool. I mean, I'm wearing leopard tennis shoes yeah. for God's sake. Um, so my question with your kids, because I have this, I go through this a lot, and actually I wrote in the blog on our website about this, is that 
How do you explain to them media? Because it sounds like you did a lot of talking with your dad about what's going on in world things, and it came from one source, and you could talk about that. If my 13-year-old, who's taking American history and all that stuff, is getting his information however he gets his information, how do you talk to them about it? And I, you know, I think the easy answer would be, oh, we'll get your, go from different sources, do this and that. But I really still fear that... There's no, I can't say here, listen to Walter Cronkite and you'll understand the world. So what do I, what do I tell my kids and what do you tell yours? Well, I, I think one thing that this is, because uh, it's in kind of its infancy, no pun intended with them, is that uh, uh, their awareness of what goes, goes on in the world, some of it is filtered through me playing Trump. Yeah. So my son turned to me and said to me, when, when like a year ago, he's four now, but when he was three, he was like, Dad. You know, my friend Tommy says, you're Trump. Are you Trump? <laughs> Are you the president, Dad? Are you President Trump? I'm the president and, of something. you, kid. Right, right, right. Well, I'm like, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm married to the president <laughs> of my house. But anyway, the, um, the, uh, but, but the, the, uh, um, I, I say, I'm seeing now that because, but they don't have what we had. The, 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 the media prism when we were young was so narrow and so focused. You, you, and, and I always say, you made the media mattered more because you sat down and made an appointment. Yes. No HBO, no DVR, no rewinding, replaying online, nothing. And it was a You sat affair. down at six o'clock yeah. and you watched you. I watched Sue Simmons and Chuck Scarborough. <laughs> I watched my people. And I, I watched Shade uh, uh, Batarinois, whatever her name is, on EB. <laughs> I watched all these people. Bill. And then uh, when I was a kid, you know, you watched uh, the networks and everything, and uh, or the Today Show when uh, when uh, Brokaw was on. It was a little more uh, stiffer than it is now and not as silly. And uh, uh, you made an appointment where there, there was a morning paper, there was an evening paper. My dad read the Long Island Press, then he read Newsday, he brought the Times home. Media was a much more, a much more committed relationship. And it was a more trustworthy one because with the exception of some of the tabloids and, and some of the trashy stuff, we did a thing about the Inquirer, with, uh, which is, was fascinating. Um, you could believe it. it. They were politically slanted, some of the papers, but not so much in their coverage of the actual news. It was mostly held to the editorial pages. Um, and, and so there was a sense of trust, but also a sense of community. And we, we've done a piece, one of the big problems, as you know, is, is the, is the lo journalism, local journalism, is disappearing because of the mm. economics. They just can't make any money because mm. all the money, the advertising money, has gone to the Internet. And so one of the problems that our guests have brought up is the lack of community. There's no sense of community of what unites us. And because of that, there is this only national and, and politicized national coverage. It's created this tribalism, this political tribalism in this country. And that, I think, and what most of our guests are pointing out, too, is that it's a real threat to democracy, a serious threat to democracy. A wonderful writer, Steve Erickson, did my podcast, and I first became aware of him from an essay that was in The Nation or something, I forget, or The Atlantic, uh, called American Weimar. And he mm. had this phrase inside this thing. He, I mean, years later, I reached out to him. Years later. It was a thrill. And he lives in California, and I got him to come in and do my podcast. And uh, uh, the... Um, uh, in, in the piece he writes, he said that America has switched from freedom of to freedom from. 
Interesting. You had the freedom of the expression, the freedom of religion. He was, and now I want to, now I want to have a commensurate freedom from what you're doing. I don't want to have to deal with what you're doing. And, and that leads me to what I find is one of the most seminal uh, issues with how we live now. And, and I have a, a, an underlying understanding, at least I think I do, as to why it's that way. And I'll start with that, which is that I feel that people feel so disconnected. People are so almost inconceivably disconnected from the electoral process in Washington. Mm -hmm. They don't think that they have any voice. Those people are for sale, both parties. Everybody in Congress is for sale. They might as well have stickers on them like a NASCAR driver. Right, They're yeah, all for right. sale. And, 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 and people, the, 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 the average American feels that they have no influence over what really happens directly in Washington. And so, like in Rome, with a thumbs up, thumbs down, they can't stop shouting their opinion in another forum. Mm. And, 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 and social media works quite well for the, uh, for, the, for the neutralization of the American electorate. In Washington, they love this because you're going to go over there and do all your shouting over there. And you've gotten used to this. We don't care what you say. We don't care what you... Energy policy is going to be in accordance with who's in charge, right. which party is in charge, and who we're making money off of right. in the energy, who's helping me get elected and stay in power. And so that people now will be shouting to be heard in the following way. I'll only make this one point, which is like, it's like gay marriage. The problem on both sides, and I'm not defending either one, is that that if, if, if a gay couple wants to have the right to get married... You cannot deny them those rights. They have every right to do that. They have every right, if they're in love with a same-sex partner, they have every right to enjoy all of the benefits of a marriage contract that the, that the state bestows, tax-wise, so forth. But at the same time, the problem for the gay community is that they not only want those rights, they want you to tell them that it's okay, that yeah. you don't think it's wrong. Right. Would you ever run but, but, for but, office? But, 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 let me just finish this, which yeah. is that, 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 and that's the problem. Yeah. Because... In the culture we live in, opponents of that, for example, just to use that one issue, they're never going to stop saying it's wrong. They, 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 they will not stop giving their opinion. That They're like, okay, you are allowed to get married to your husband. Bob and Jim can get married. Sue and, and Kathleen can get married. But, and, and we will accept that you have the right to do that. But we're never going to stop talking about it. We think what you're doing is wrong. And that's part of the problem, is that one party, is, one group, is expecting the other to agree that it's not wrong. Mm. And, to, and, and to kind of stow away their opinions. And so we're going to have this constant rancor back and forth about abortion. You know, all these issues about, like, like if I say to you, for example, regarding abortion, I personally am opposed to abortion. And by that I mean any woman who was primary in my life who said to me, I'm pregnant, I would say, I think you should probably have it. But at the same time, what I'd say to them is, if you don't have it, that's your business. Exactly. I have my opinion, but I would never dream of imposing my opinion on you. You have the right to choose, to use the common phrase. And I would say, whatever my opinions are, if my daughter, wife, sister, a colleague, anybody in the world said, what do you think I should do? I'd say, I think you're probably always better off having the kid. And, and I mean, unless there's like, unless there's a threat to your health or you were raped or all those other kind of common melodramatic, uh, you know, uh, arcs there. But, but I would never dream of saying, 
making it illegal for you to choose. Right. Do you think really people powerful. scream at me no, when I say that? No, Peggy, that's Peggy Noonan screamed at me when I said that. Oh well, Peggy Noonan, um, who's a lovely woman. <laughs> sure, if you say so. <laughs> she is. She is. But the beliefs, I, I don't agree with her politically on a lot of stuff. But I right. like her as a person. Um, but the the thing is, with social media, <laughs> with social media, that has become the norm. Because there's this tyranny of the majority. Right. It's a de Tocqueville problem. You've got everybody out there screaming, and there's no, there are just too many voices, social media, streaming media. I mean, who do you listen to? Everybody just wants to feel that they're it. They want to be, they heard. Want to be heard. Everybody wants they to want be, to be heard. heard. Everyone wants yeah, to be heard. Oh, East Village I knew people. it. It's, it's, Mike, it's, it's a the downtown Village. vibe. It's, it's a downtown, downtown vibe. vibe. We're, no, but we're I, people want to be heard, and I think that. A lot of the negativeness that you get sometimes is that you have you are on a platform in which you can be heard, and so they feel like if they can bounce it off of you, maybe it'll get some kind of. I think it goes beyond that. I mean, in this Trump world, which is people are much more comfortable flashing racist signs at the at the at the at the. Uh, 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 up at West Point at the commencement, you saw those pictures. Yeah, of no, but, but, but you know, it was in a world where people are much more comfortable expressing things that were unheard of right here this country goes through a civil rights awareness which didn't achieve anywhere near what it should have but things were better in my mind regardless of what other people might say and then it's it, now it's deteriorate, deteriorating again when i get i get a look from people i get if i walk into a beehive of conservative america if i walk into one of their joints mm-hmm. If I walk into a country club and I know that most of them are, they, they're all like, they, they, they think Trump is a buffoon, but they love, they want him to sit exactly where he is. It all works for them. They want no taxes and no regulations on their business. Right. That's all they care about. Don't give a shit about abortion, gay rights. Just don't tax me and don't tax my children. Let me leave all my millions to my kids. And I'm at a country club and I'll see them look at me. And the look I get from them is like, you know, they're like, Alec Baldwin, what's wrong with you, boy? <laughs> You're one of us. You're a white man who made a little dough. You come there from Massapequa. Your dad didn't have any money. This country's been good to you, son. Why can't you just put your feet up and have a beer here in the clubhouse? We play 18 holes. We come back and have a club sandwich or a burger, boy, and we relax and enjoy America. Why do you got to be causing all this trouble all the time? Why do you cause all this trouble? Uh, Because I feel like I really, really... uh, uh, I really feel that that the, the equality that most of the uh, the, the regulatory uh, uh, reality that I have argued for and the equality that I've argued for, I think the country's better off if we have it. Like if you said to yourself, if the cure for cancer, for breast cancer, was something that is incubating in the mind of a seven-year-old black girl living in Mississippi, she's going to cure cancer 40 years from now. Isn't it incumbent upon us to get her the money to go to medical school and, and get that? In other words, there's opportunities for all of us embedded in America, yeah. and regardless of where they're from, regardless of gender, regardless of color. How do we develop this country to everybody's benefit? And, I, and I'm somebody who I always remember, you know, Dan Quayle, not to pick on Dan Quayle. But Dan Quayle to me is emblematic of the other side, which is, you know, our boy Danny. You know, he's yeah. he's. Uh, uh, you know, he can't spill potato, but he should be the he should be a heartbeat away from the presidency. Yeah. Alec, you're so politically on top of things. I'm going to go back to that question. Would you ever run for politics, local or national? 
Well, first of all, my wife said she would divorce me. She Uh-oh. was, if you run, she goes, I'm running to my divorce lawyer's office, she said. <laughs> and she does not want my kids to go through that. And I'll never forget when, uh, in, in the old days, I was at, in this very romantic setting. It's sad when you think about it. I was in Windows on the World. And we're at a brunch there, and Bobby Kennedy gives what was a, you know, what years later I would understand was a boilerplate speech for him about forcing American industry to bring their products to market at their true value. So a gallon of gas doesn't cost four dollars or five dollars; it costs four hundred dollars because well, the people we got to go kill overseas to access the oil. May not now because of fracking, but anyway, mm. the um, Bobby's given this speech, and it, well, there's probably maybe like a hundred people in the room. It was an afternoon, like a lunch, and people have tears in their eyes. He was so moving. He was so eloquent. He was so concise. And I said to him, why don't you run? And he said, the this, this shit that they would pull out on me and say about me that my kids would have to listen to. Because mm. in his family, but, but the point is, is that, is that is my wife wouldn't want my family to be put through that. And also, whether it's different in the state, you know, a statewide office, governor, senator, uh, um, lieutenant governor is a more of a ceremonial role, controller, AG, I wouldn't be qualified for, or mayor of New York. Um, I wonder if on a local level, because I'm convinced it's happening on the national level, that uh, Trump has killed the non-traditional candidacy. Yeah. People will insist on someone with a legislative record, state house, executive, you know, governor. They, they, they won't allow another Trump to come in. Well, you know, a lot of what we've talked about in, in previous news broads is what Judy mentioned earlier about how this there's very streamlined local news going on that if. You don't want to run for mayor, which I think my husband's going to run, so we're good. Um, or moving on. Um, Who's your husband? Vincent Cerrito. He's one of the commissioners for the New York City Parks Department. Oh, yep, and he's wonderful. He's working but, his way up, but he's, he's, he's he, major. Great. He's, he's wonderful. Major. But I think that where I would love, uh, and I, you know, I'd love to see you on a community board in downtown where we live. I'd love to see you because I feel that that's where we really need to put, I mean, being president is one thing, but to really start where it needs to be or is there. super important. Well, I think that, that just to say this, which is that is <clears throat> when you see this election and you know, you, you realize exactly where we are because so many people are running who I personally would say, uh, I divide everything just to, to be a, uh, 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 to, to be uh, brief about it, I divided it into thirds. So I say a third of them are really, really sensational opportunities. A third of them are okay. A third of them, I don't know what they're doing up there. Hmm. And for each of the people running now, I, uh, for most of them, I see another job they should be doing. They shouldn't be president. Right. There's another job they should be doing in terms of their ability to beat uh, Trump and to, and, to, and, to, and to come across in that way that you, uh, where people... When you say you want to protect people in Washington, when you say you want to represent them and care for them and, 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 and help fight for them, they have to believe you're a capable fighter. And I don't believe that the majority of the men and women on the stage are capable fighters. They're smart people, but they're not capable fighters. You have to be very visceral to beat Trump. I am convinced that if this band that's running now wasn't as thick as it was now. And had I run and been successful at it, which was impossible, but, but in some fable, in some storybook version, I, and I was the nominee, I would beat Trump. You would. And the reason, the reason you'd beat Trump is I would drive him insane, because right. I know exactly well, how to get exactly in there. Give us an example. Bang. Bang. To the ribs, to the jaw. I mean, I would just beat him to You're a good pulp. New York boys. Yeah. You know I would, just, I would hammer him. He would be, yeah, I, would, him. My, my, I said to somebody, my goal would be, I want Trump sobbing on stage. I want to make him cry. How would you do it? Debates. Just tell the truth. 
Yeah. And don't stop telling him. Just keep sticking it in his face all day long about who he is and who he's not. But 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 but, but let me let me just say this, and that is that the um, and, and I wanted to run at the same time with a kind of a strange, but what I view as common sense based. Uh, menu of ideas for where I want the country to go. Like, like on one hand, I want there to be, uh, 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 you know, more attention paid to clean air and clean water. And I would have, uh, I don't want to say the Manhattan Project, because that speaks to, to bombs and weaponry. Yeah. I'd want to have the Apollo Project of, of, of alternative energy. I, I get everybody out of the coal business and retrain them and have all them building wind power all over the, 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 the uh, uh, near where you're from. And my, my last thing I want to say about this, but at the same time, what I don't want is I don't want to hear any more <clears throat> about these excessive taxes on the wealthy. Because I want people's taxes to go up, but what I don't want you to do, which they're doing, I mean, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders want to punish people who are successful. Sure. And I want to go, that's not America. No. This demonization of wealth. Let me tell you something. If you took all the wealthy people in this city and they all left, the city would collapse because the wealthy people pay most of the taxes. That's true nationally the, the, as well. Right, right, right. There was wealthy people build museums and libraries and hospitals. And it was not everybody <clears throat> is Rockefeller, but, but most people that you and I know who are highly successful people, they give a lot back. Now, should their taxes go up? Yes. But this incessant... I mean, you read articles, should, should people be allowed to be a billionaire? I want to go, how dare you say right. that? We're yeah, not in China. Right. Where do you well, think we are? And that's, that's also pitting people Warren, against each other And again. Warren to me, and I'll say it on the air, I have a lot of respect for Warren, but Warren should be on the Supreme Court. Yeah. That's the job she should have. She should be a Supreme Court justice. And number two, Sanders, I kind of have respect for him. I'm not quite sure what job he should have. Maybe HUD, I don't know. But anyway, my, my, <laughs> my point is, is that my point is both of them don't shut up about policies that they have no knowledge of how to pay for. But, how are you going to pay for it? Well, well, here's the thing. I mean, Warren at least has a record and she's, you know, Bernie Sanders has never had a real job. He's never introduced a bill in Congress. He's a big know-nothing blowhard. Would you support Bloomberg? That's a wrap. Yeah. Oh. On that note, oh. we've just taken a giant spit in the faces of two of the most prominent Democrats in this in this country. Good night, everybody. No, but 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 I agree with you in terms of that Sanders. Well, see, what people don't realize is election laws now, and this is a huge my most my most powerful issue is campaign finance reform and the subsequent term limits because people say elections themselves, I mean, I've been working on this since 1988. So it's over 30 years working with the Shorenstein Center at Harvard and working with Marvin Kalb and these people back then. And the issue that drives me crazy is they say, well, elections themselves are term limits. I'm going to go, no, they're not. With incumbency the way it is now, we need to have term limits. We need to change the Constitution and say that you can be a senator for two terms, and it's eight years. Amen. And, a and you can be a congressman for four terms, and it's eight years. And get out. And until we change campaign finance reform laws, where it really, really works. Because the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 what I was leading up to about, about Sanders is people don't realize you can raise all this money to run for president. And then the election's over, and you're not the nominee. And guess what? You get to keep the money. 
You keep the money in a fund that you get to keep, to, and, you, and, and you can have an office and a staff. And as long as you're spending it, and people are believing you may run again, the election laws now are Bernie Sanders can raise, I'm going to say argue, arguably, let's say from round figures, he raises 100 million bucks, and he spends 80 million. And the other 20 million, he's allowed to keep that and have an office. You know, that's horrific. That's why I think some of them do this. Man, well, they, they want to run, they want to win, but when they don't win, there's a nice little. A nice little Reward. firm they're running there. I think the worst part of it is not that so much, although that sounds pretty shady. I hadn't thought about that. That's pretty interesting. Is that they're bought. It's not even that they get out of office, that they're bought and that everything they're going to do in Congress is going to go right back to the people who give them money. Well, well that's what we were just saying, too, yeah. that when people don't feel heard, it's because they already know everyone on both sides of the aisle are, are bought. Well, but, but I was going to say, in terms of that money, a lot of people thought, well, when this campaign is over and that person's done and they don't win, are they going to donate the money from their candidacy to the party? There, there are certain laws that I'm not completely uh, uh, apprised of what they are at this moment, but my understanding was, and your listeners might be emailing saying, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about, and we should probably research this and I'll email you, and you can read it as a bumper. We say, well, I got a letter from Alec who wants to apologize to everyone. <laughs> But the point being that, that that when you when you lose or win and you have all these campaign funds, I'm trying to remember. Was it? I don't want to get this wrong. I feel terrible. Was it uh, uh, Cuomo or somebody? Somebody had a big pile of money, and everybody was saying, "You're going to give a big chunk of it to the party to help build the party up in Albany." And because most people were like. No, actually, we're not going to. <laughs> no. It's probably going to go towards his his presidential campaign eventually. Yeah. But, you know, what people may not know about you, although you wrote about it a lot in Nevertheless, your, the book about your life, is that you always were interested in politics. Mm-hmm. You, in fourth grade, didn't you say you wanted to be president? And my teacher wrote, uh, she, said, she said, save me a seat at your inauguration. <laughs> Bernice Hoffman is still alive, my fourth yeah. grade teacher. Well, you know, you share something in common with the president. You were both considered mistreated by the, by the media. So there you have one thing in common with him. Well, I don't, yeah, well, I, I, think that, uh, I, I think that Trump, here's the difference, is Trump behaves the way he behaves and I think the number one, uh, uh, the number one expenditure of his time and energy and and his supporters' money, is to address the fact that he can't win a fair election. Trump, if I ran for, forget about how I was treated by the media, because I don't think I don't think I'm the worst day of my life. I was treated as badly as Trump has been treated. I mean, to compare my reputation to Trump's reputation. I mean, I'm somebody who tried over the arc of 30 years to give back and do a lot of things to support causes in New York, I believed in. And as I tell people, when you live in New York, and and listen, you, your husband are great, famous New Yorkers. I tell people, Trump was a drive-by presence in New York social life. He was never a table mate. Right. He, he had his tux in his glove compartment. Him and the wife would walk the red carpet, photo, 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 leave. Because no one you, wanted them. You, I, don't even, I don't know about that, but you no. never sat at a table and Donald Trump was at your table That's or true. nearby to attend the event. He came and went, went back to 21, had dinner, went home to have fried chicken up in his golden cage or whatever. <laughs> and, 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 and the point is, is that the... Uh, I, I just feel like the thing about him is, is is that if I wanted to run, I was talking about running a fair election. And Trump was sitting there mocked, 
by Obama, and everybody sees the famous tape of him being mocked by Obama at the press association at the dinner, and he makes up his mind to run, and he wins, but he didn't win fair. He didn't win fair. Trump is the president because of the intervention of outside forces in our political process, which is why we are where we are with this vote today. I am someone who I think the the opposites of me, the, my political opposites, uh, some of them are a pretty tough crowd. And liberals and, uh, uh, and Democrats and progressives are often viewed as a little bit more um, I want to say polite or meek, but a little bit more measured. And of course, Fox News comes along, and uh, because liberals don't need progressives, I want to prefer the word progressives. Progressives don't need to have all their media pre-digested for them. If, as Doug Johnson said, of all people, as Doug Johnson said years ago, and I quoted him until I passed out, he said, if there was a liberal bias expressed by the media over the arc of, 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 of TV, as we know it from, let's say, 1950s on, um, he said, if there was a liberal bias there, he said that, that that certainly is possible. He said, and Fox aims to correct that in a single weekend. In a single weekend, they tend to, to want to even the, the scale. And this excessive and constant uh, uh, emotionalizing of media, and, and that to me is the greatest problem, which is that uh, is that people's feelings have have taken over and eclipsed facts. So, for example, when Jeffrey Epstein, that whole thing is roiling, and Jeffrey Epstein's before he goes to prison, and before whatever actually happened to Jeffrey Epstein is is in prison, we'll never know now because that was a very very convenient thing. But Epstein. Uh, all that's roiling. And my name was in Jeffrey Epstein's book. Are you serious? But with, with, with a number that I'm convinced is my, uh, uh, my, my answering service. Now, someone said to me, I got a phone call from <clears throat> the New York Times, a woman who's kind of a friend of mine. She goes, and she literally writes me an email. She goes, well, <laughs> sad. <laughs> I write back and go, well, what? She goes, you know, Epstein's book. And I go, oh. I said, now, I'm willing to bet that at a time when I was married to my first wife and I was in New York in the 90s and I was out a lot and I did a lot of things, I said, my guess is, and I don't have any facts, that he was part of that crowd with like Robin Hood Foundation, mm -hmm. Jeffrey Sachs, people that were pulling me in that orbit. I said, maybe I ran into him and I said, I never met with him socially. But my point is, I, I don't have any of that in my life you know, sexual assault. A very famous movie star who I won't name, I called him on the phone and I go, I don't get this rape thing. <laughs> and he laughed because he got it. And I go, and he both and I agreed. We go, if I went on a date with a woman and I wasn't convinced you were crazy about me in the first 10 minutes, we weren't even going to have dessert. I was out of there. The idea that I'm going to press myself onto a woman and make her do something she doesn't want to do, that didn't appeal to me at all. How could you have an intimate act with a woman with a tear streaming down her face? Mm -hmm. Who does that? And my friend, legendary movie star, said to me, he goes, yeah, man. He goes, me too. Because if I didn't think a woman like really was in love with me, we weren't going anywhere. You know what I mean? But, but you realize that people, they kept saying to me on social media, you're next, Alec. Jeffrey Epstein, what'd you do? What'd you do? It's going to come out the story. But you realize they need that to be the case. Mm -hmm. They need it. They want to believe it. If, if, if you really knew me and you really know what I was about, there's things to criticize about me, no doubt. But not those things. But they're like, doesn't matter. You seem like the kind of guy 
I need you to seem like the kind of guy exactly. that would do these horrible things. Because in this country, of course, sexual innuendo is the is the is the ultimate the, the thing to bring people down with. Love is the answer. <laughs> love is the Beatles it's said. Love is all you need. Who cares about news and politics? Today <laughs> they're gonna they're they're, they're 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 doing the impeachment vote tonight. It's not that we're doing this show on the day of the impeachment vote, and uh, uh, but I'm I'm really really grateful that I have a. Uh, um, I have a home and a family. Amen. Yeah, I'm really lucky. We are so glad you were with Thanks us today. Oh, thank you. You're such fun. a nice guy. Oh, and I, God, I, I thought you were a jerk, but now, I mean, <laughs> I'm an articulate jerk. You've been listening to the News Broads with Gina Cerrito, Lynn White, and Judy Licht. Our producer is David Levin and audio mixing by Barry Hirschberg. Hirschberg.